gonna look twice at you Until I see the Christ in you Welcome to our weekly meditations, conversations that we have on Tuesdays, I'm sorry, Mondays, every week. Um, and talk about things that are helpful in uh, the care of our soul. Uh, we are in, in the second conversation, second session of, of this new series that we just started about the journey of a spiritual formation. Today we're going to talk about being conformed. And um, we are borrowing, we're, we're using uh, Robert Mulholland definition of a spiritual formation. It comes out of a book, uh, to a, a Invitation to a Journey, a Road Map for Spiritual Formation, of the same author. And he defines spiritual formation as the process of being conformed to the image of Christ for the sake of others. I have to admit, this is one of the best definitions. I, I keep chewing on it. And, you know, it's one of the more simple and best definitions I have found about the spiritual formation. So we talk about the process last week, and we're going to talk today about being conformed. And hopefully in our following weeks, we will talk about the rest uh, of, of the definition, the image of Christ and for the sake of others. So being conformed, you know, we, we, we are reminded that the nature of a spiritual formation uh, is, is this process uh, in which God, not us, is the source of transformation. We talked about last week, uh, but when we talk about it is not only a process, but uh, this transformation is about uh, being conformed into something that is not uh, necessarily what we, uh, whatever idea we have of, of, of what should be. Uh, the confirmation that we need to, to, to have, right? So a few uh, scriptures that I think are, are good always as to give us a context. We, we mentioned at least this first one last week, Galatians 4.19, Paul is speaking uh, to the Galatians and, and he writes, My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. So talking about clearly a process of formation, you know, and he uses, again, the metaphor of, of development, calls us, uh, called the Galatians, children. They are, somehow there is a birth in Christ, and, and then there is a formation and, and a maturing, maturing in Christ. So that's one of the analogies, and we find these analogies uh, in several places in different letters. Uh, in the New Testament. <clears throat> Paul again in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. This is a famous passage, and I chose the Passion Translation, so it sounds a little bit different. I prayed, <clears throat> I'm sorry, I pray with great faith for you, because I'm fully convinced that the one who began this glorious work in you will faithfully continue the process of maturing you and will put his finishing touches to it until the unveiling of our Lord Jesus Christ. How beautifully said. <laughs> he who started, he who began this good work in you will finish. We, we all somehow have some uh, relation with this uh, verse. We have heard it, we have received it, it has spoken to us. It's a beautiful way to think that this is a glorious work that takes place in you. And this faithful Lord is the one who is continuing this process of maturing you and me into the image of Christ. Until the unveiling of our Lord Jesus Christ. And yes, it might be the second coming. Probably it will be perfectly there whenever we are in his presence. But... Think about it, the, the Christ in you is also being unveiled, little by little. There are moments when you can see this unveiling taking place in you. 
couple more passages of the scriptures. Philippians, again, verse 2, verses, chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It's God who works in you. You are being conformed, I, I could say. <laughs> God in you. This is not something that you do alone. When we think of this uh, illusion, you know, many, many authors talk about this as an illusion, especially those that kind of have a more mystical accent. There is an illusion of separation. We think that we do ourselves. And it is God in us who is doing this work. Psalm 127, verse 1, is a good passage that I repeat to myself a lot. <clears throat> Probably you do the same. Unless the Lord builds the house, <laughs> those who build in labor, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stay stays awake in vain. It's a good verse that brings a gentle correction to my life. This is not me. This is not me. This is not me. It has to be God. It has to be God. It has to be God. John 15, verse 5, the Passion Translation. Again, Jesus is speaking, famous passage. I am the sprouting vine and you are my branches. As you live in union with me as your source, fruitfulness will stream from within you. But when you live separated from me, you are powerless. Some of us, I will talk about me. I have many times tried to be conforming to the image of Christ in my own power. Willfulness. I'm going to exercise my own power. I'm going to do this, Lord. <laughs> powerless. Powerless. You know, when we talk about fruit, that, that is the, the idea, that is the picture that Jesus, Jesus is using, the fruit that produces the vine. You know, that is nature. Right? The, the analogy is nature. And think about things in nature. Nothing that we are or we do, uh, you know, produces in what nature produces. I mean, the fruit is actually nature at work. Actually, this is Dallas Wheeler talking about it. When you see a fruit, you see nature at work. And, and it happens without the intervention of of, uh, of the farmer or whoever is doing that. We just waited, right? And that is the same picture. There is something that takes place that is not our doing. So there you have a few scriptures about this idea of being conformed. Okay, three, three points, three, three main ideas uh, about being conformed. First, this issue of control. Welcome. You know, I think I'm going to start a club, you know, for people who are, uh, uh, you know, kind of a, a support group for control addicts. I'm going to be the president. <laughs> well, I don't want to, you know, be the president. What I want to say really is that I think that we all have an issue with control. As I keep talking with people, as I keep finding myself, and this idea of being conformed versus conforming ourselves paints a good picture of this issue of control. You know, this is recovery for control addicts, okay? I will say it this way, from the cradle to the grave, we are constantly struggling to be in control. You just have to see a baby as keeps growing and becomes a toddler and more consciousness in the sense of consciousness comes. It is control, 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 control. Here we are, adults trying to do the same. More than that, we have been educated 
and trained to be in control. Nothing bad, no judgment, no condemnation, just awareness. You and I have been painted a picture of success and maturity by how many things we can control. And that works in many areas of life. Yes, it does work. I want my kids to grow up and be in control of what they do. And, you know, from, from party training to, to managing their finances. Yes, I want them to, to, to be successful in controlling and somehow exercising the will, their will. They have been given a will from God to choose what is right. But in the spiritual realm, that doesn't work so much like that. You know, this idea of control becomes a little bit of an illusion. But we are addicted to it. Uh, I am very reminded two weeks ago in the freeze uh, that we had in Texas, <laughs> how sobering was for me personally, is all that I can say, okay, to, to realize how little control I had at anything. <laughs> I don't have control. I, I thought that I had control or I thought that we had control. I don't know. The government had control. Progress, technology had control. I don't know how to put it, but you know, then it comes a freeze and suddenly nobody has control. Powerless. I didn't like it, but it was good for my soul. And I say this with a lot of respect to the loss and the grief of many people. But think how little control we have. And we struggle. I, I say we kick and scream because we want somebody to be in control. So that never happens again. Well, I think that there's a good conversation that to have, but uh, uh, I don't know who can, who can sign that paper and say, yes, you have control. There is an existential fear we face when we are not in control. Right? Anxiety arises and we do what we do when we are anxious. Faith walking, we learn, we, we become aware of these kind of things and it's very helpful. I always say the problem eventually is anxiety. And that sounds like a very um, general, a, a big generalization, but I will say, probably I should say fear. Usually the problem is fear. That triggers anxiety. Right? And there's a lot of things that we don't see that are happening in us. Fear of fill the blank, not being in control. It's not the only one. I think that uh, uh, in the classic uh, work uh, who comes to mind is Thomas Keating, talking about these uh, uh, kind of scripts that we create to, to, to survive. He talks about fear or, or the script that we have to be loved, to, 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 to belong and to be loved. And there is a uh, one that is power and control, and that's what we are talking about here. Right. And then the, the other one, the third one, is about safety. There's a deep meaning attached to our capacity to being in control. Think about it. When we're in control, we feel safe. Most of us, we feel valuable. We feel lovable. We're okay. When we're not in control, we are not. <laughs> and... Again, there are many things that we are invited to control, I mean, in a way, or, or to, to exercise some, some influence. But uh, the ultimate control is something elusive that we cannot have any area of life. We suffer when we are not in control because we have attached a meaning to what it means not to be in control. The truth is that we have control of very little. <laughs> Welcome. Very little. Uh, you know, this is a passage that talks about more, but what came to mind when I was writing this is, is, is Jesus' word. Do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. You cannot change many, many things, you know. Have little control. The, the fruit or part of the fruit of the spirit is self-control. And that's probably the only control that we have. You know, who do you want to be when? Who do I want to be when? I don't have control. It's a good question. Who do I want to be when I don't have control? 
Second point, Jesus and control. What do we learn from Jesus? I think that's a very beautiful, hopeful learning, sovereign learning. It really changes something in me. And there are many ways to see this. I, I have chosen Henry Now and uh, work. I forget the name of the book. Um, little tiny book that is very, very nice about uh, Jesus' three temptations in the desert. You know, uh, with the enemy came and had these famous three questions and how Jesus responded, you know. And you know all the story. We, we know the story. Jesus is taking into this, this place, the, the, the desert, by the Holy Spirit before his ministry starts. And, and he is fasting, and there is this spiritual warfare taking place, the temptation of Jesus. And that is actually not being in control, right? The desert, or not being in control feels a lot like a desert because we don't have control. But you see how, how Jesus... Um, responded all, all these temptations in one way or another i like the work of henry now and there are others but it's, it's about exercise some level of control take care of it come on fix it show it show me right do something but you see that jesus chooses to trust god without exercising or without doing anything falling into that trap you know i'm just gonna read the, the henry now and says the first uh, temptation was to be it was about being relevant do something the world will praise you for like making bread out of stones he was hungry and jesus didn't fall into it man lives not of bread alone another temptation was be a spectacular jump from the tower so that everybody can see you as someone that is influential, that is important. And Jesus said, don't test God. And finally, be powerful. Yeah, kneel before me and I will give you dominion. You know, that's at the end of the day. Final. Worship me. <laughs> and Jesus says, no way. Worship only God. You see, he managed that by not being in control other than self. It makes sense. Jesus had control probably over the enemy. <laughs> right? Demons will, will fly away, flee, flee from him. And, but you see that he reserves in this uh, moment of temptation, he exerts control over self, not over other. Anyway, I think that it's, it's sobering. We, we can learn from Jesus. You can, you can expand that and see what Jesus did when uh, there were, you know, other circumstances, facing circumstances, people inviting him to, to be my Messiah or people leaving him or even the cross itself. What Jesus, what can we learn of Jesus and control? I believe that spiritual formation is about yielding. Is about learning to offer ourselves to God so God can have God's way in us. At least that is the path in this side of eternity. I don't know exactly how, you know, how, how it will be when we are in the presence of Jesus, but that's a way of being, a way of seeing this. Third point, final point, a spiritual formation is about the great reversal. And I have just, I, I want to just offer three um, quotes, actually, of, of the author of the book, Robert uh, Mulholland, about this great reversal. I love it, you know, great reversal. First, the spiritual formation is the great reversal from being the subject that controls all other things to being a person who is shaped by the presence, purpose, and power of God in all things. Clearly put. So different than our probably instinctual desire to be, sometimes of cultural views. It's not about controlling anything. 
putting ourselves in control. I like a lot the work of Dallas Wheeler around that. If you can explore it, um, he talks about uh, soul. He talks about desires and emotions and feelings, right? Especially emotions, feelings. And he talks about the will, right? And, and he pretty much say, I'm not going to make, uh, you're not going to be able to, to, to be very, fair to, to him, but he says the, the, the uh, person who is uh, emotionally immature is living controlled by desires and feelings and emotions, right? That controls, and so the, the will is, is kind of broken, right? And it's, it's, it's acting out of the desire, act, acting out of the feeling. So you made me angry. So angry uh, is controlling me and I do what I do. So my will is kind of broken. It's, it's following desires. And he talks about the will as, as the place where God has given us freedom. And, and he says, actually, the, 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 the process of maturity, spiritual maturity, he will say, or emotional maturity, is putting the will under the control of God and God alone, kingdom of God. So the will can actually manage the desires and emotions and the feelings. And I don't know if it makes sense or, or it's clear, but it's the same idea that uh, Mulholland is offering here. The reversal is not me controlling the things uh, outside, but allowing my will to be controlled by God. So the fruit that comes is that, that will that he has given me chooses what God will choose in a way, right? what Jesus will cho choose in a way, what is right, what is good. Second, uh, a great reversal. Spiritual formation is the great reversal from acting upon bringing about the desired results in our lives to being acted upon by God and responding in ways that allow God to bring about God's purposes. That sounds a little bit more complex. But instead of acting, exercising power over it, it's actually yielding and allowing myself to be a cam canvas, I don't know, to be, to be the, 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 the clay where God is shaping things so I can... Uh, be uh, shaped in whatever God wants. Finally, the, 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 the great reversal, uh, spiritual formation is the great reversal from habitual expectations of closure to patient open-ended open yieldingness. That's pretty hard. You see, we want closure. We want to be done. We want to, to uh, control. Knowing things is a way of controlling things. We have to be invited to live with mystery, being a little bit undone, but yielding our hearts and our souls, our futures to the Lord. So there you go, the great reversal, counterintuitive. <laughs> Okay, before we, we start and talk about this, let me finish. This is a long quote, okay? I'm going to read it slowly, but I think that is so well put. This is Henry Nowing again, right? People who help us uh, bring clarity into these things. He writes, Sometimes we grow resentful as we grow older. When our image of an ideal life evaporates and painful, historical, personal, family or financial realities break through to the surface, it can be most disturbing. Let us try to see the pain of our human and spiritual journey from above. The great art is to gradually trust that life's interruptions are, are the places where God is molding you into the person you are called to be. Interruptions are not disruptions of your way to holiness, but rather are places where you are being formed into the unique person God calls you to be. You know you are living a grateful life when whatever happens is received as an invitation to deepen your heart, to strengthen your love, and to broaden your hope. 
You are living a grateful life when something is taken away from you that you thought was so important and you find yourself willing to say, maybe I'm being invited to a deeper way of living. It's a big quote. But it is indeed a great reversal. Learning to see these interruptions and these pains and these situations more like a from above, as he said. So let me let me stop here. Let's let's dialogue about it. What comes to your mind as you hear all these things? Being conformed, not conforming ourselves, but being conformed. This topic is so perfect, as always. <laughs> as I was writing in my journal this morning, I was said, you know, I want to be, I want to be conformed to him. I want to be conformed to him. I want to be conformed speech-wise, actively wise, responsive-wise, emotionally mature. When I find myself in those moments of being immature and 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 as I'm writing there, I'm like, Lord, I can't without you. I mean, I realize I'm completely powerless in this human being. And, you know, I, I, I get upset with myself often. Like, why did you say that? Or why did you react this way? Or why, you know, why can't you, when you were talking about the storm, you know, being completely out of control, that was frightening. You know, to imagine, and then of course, my first instinct is, well, I'm just going to run for governor, and I'm going to change this whole thing. And uh, I actually am in the mix. I am going to be running for office at some point, uh, but it's just, it's you, you have no control. God does what He chooses, when He chooses, how He chooses. And I know that in listening to this, I have to be patient with myself, with Him transforming uh, me. It's it's not just all on me. So, anyway. Thank you, Brenda. Thank you for sharing such an honest uh, thing. And I get it, especially those who were in the freeze. Oh, we get to see our littleness. I like how you say, I'm stuck. You know, I'm powerless. <laughs> What's going on? I don't have. And I, I think that is the beginning of, of this path. Not as a justification, okay, that's it, sorry. You get to live with me. <laughs> I'm sorry for the impact I have on you. You don't get any, any option to change. But actually becomes that, that yearning, that, that desire that becomes so, so harsh. You know, it's like a, the, the formation happens there and it's, it's hard, it's painful, it becomes painful. It is, it is painful, especially when you're in a household of some that just that the the same excuse as well this is the way i've been this is the way i'm always going to be you know i don't I, you know you knew what you were getting into or this you know comments like that and i'm just like really this is as good as it gets and then i, I actually got angry with god at one point it's i i said something to him this morning i said really so it's all up to me i have to completely do this change and make everything perfect and then I, and I, I, I was just like, I can't, I realized, I said, I can't not with, I mean, not without God's ability to, to transform me. I can't. Yeah. And Brenda, you give us a very clear picture. You see, when that happens, we want to, we take control. <laughs> we got to the resolution. I'm going to, I'm done, or I do this, or I exert my power, or I just cut off. And, you know, you can learn also from anxiety, other options that we do. This is, and this is the, the tension. It comes to, to mind the, the little grain of sand that is creating the pearl, right? That irritation is when we need to yield to God. In faith walking, we often say, don't fix it. If you have been in one of these and, and had a coach, okay, don't fix it. Put it in the space. What does it mean to look at that with the Lord? Would you let God speak to you? And uh, how many times do I have to do that? I don't want to put it in the space. I want 
solution, right? And that is the difference between human will and, I would say, this yieldedness that um, we're talking about. Yeah, I think it's um, when things are taken out of our control, um, that's when we grab and we want to control. So the, the less control we feel we have, the more the anxiety comes and the more we start to to control things around us. Um, and that's like I'm there personally at the moment. Like I don't feel like I ha- I can make choices and so I I try and control something that's not even related to what I don't feel I have control of, but I'll just, just need anything to, <laughs> to take hold of, to, to stop me. Um, and it's, and it's trying to live, um, open-handed, be like it or not, whether we feel like it's been, te- things have been taken from us or whether we feel like we're right in the middle of something that we do have control of that that we're in that good place where we're we're not holding too tightly we still we still have to take be open-handed um even with even with the things that we've got um and it's learning that none of it is to be controlled by us whether whether it's good or bad whether it's ours or not we just release it all to god and wait open hand for for when he wants to take that thing and give us something else so that's yeah that's kind of where I'm at and I'm going to disappear now so nice to see you all Michelle thank you and thank you for for sharing indeed I think we all are there different moments right I know for me like I used to be I used to want to control a lot of things. And I think it's something that the Lord has done a lot of work in my life, but I've seen over and over with really significant things that were good things. Um, but things that I was trying to take hold of and, and make it work and I'm going to do this. And, um, and I've seen several times where nothing worked until I finally gave up on it. I mean, real, like, really significant things where I was just striving and striving for months or even years in some situations in the past several years. And then, and I was just, you know, convinced I was going to fix it and I was going to figure it out. And then I reached the end of myself and it wasn't even like super spiritual. I was just like done. I mean, I just got to a point where I was like, forget it, God. Like I can't do anything with this. I have literally done every single thing I can possibly imagine or think of or try. And like, I'm spent, you know, like if you, and I mean, really not like, like I said, this was not like a real peaceful, like, Oh Lord, I'm going to trust you. I was just like, you know what, God, I'm done. Like, I can't do it anymore. If you, if if this is going to work, you can do it for me because I don't have anything else to give. I did everything, you know, you're going to have to come through and, you know, I'm just, I'm done. And like that, all of a sudden God's like, oh good. Now you finally gave me something to work with now that you quit trying to own it yourself. Um, and it was like magic, you know I mean? And then all of a sudden something happened miraculously. Um, but I know I, I think I can be kind of stubborn and I can want to hang on to things. And God has really showed me over the past few years, like until I'm willing to relinquish that control, he can't help me. You know, I have to let go in order to let him um, have it. And as long as I'm stuck on trying to do it myself, um, there's not a lot of room for him to uh, intervene. So it's been really, I don't know, it's been really neat to see. And then it's helpful for me to remind myself of that when I find myself going to that again, because that is kind of my default, but I'm getting away from it. So that's good. How do you relinquish without just completely letting go, like just shutting down? I think I do just completely let go um, or else it'll drive me crazy. Um. Because, I mean, that's where I am today. That's where I was this morning at 
2.30 this morning. Like, that's it, you know? Mm-hmm. So. I think for me, like, I've had to really just come to a point with some things that I really did totally let go of it. And I can say, too, that all of the things that all of the major things that this has happened in the past few years um, are in a better place, but they aren't all in the better place that I necessarily wanted them to be, if that makes sense. So there's some things like I'll give, I'll give two examples and I'll try to make them shortish. So I have a small group for single moms that I founded, I don't know, like six or seven years ago. And it was something that was on my heart for a long time. I was a, a teen single mom and single mom for many years. And I founded this group. Um, and it was really, uh, dear to me. And then the, um, I was working at a church for several years and I was kind of abruptly let go from my position there. And then I was told that we couldn't, um, continue to, they were hosting my group at the time, just in the space. And they said we couldn't meet anymore. Um, and this was a very tight knit group of women that really had great community. Um, and so I was trying to find a new place for us to meet. Um, and everyone, this was before COVID, this was like maybe four years ago. And, um, I was calling, you know, places that I knew of. Um, I was reaching out to community organizations, churches and stuff, and everyone, nobody could accommodate what we needed. Um, and it went from, I was pretty, I knew about a lot of places in the community because I worked at the church for several years. So I knew about where has meeting spaces and stuff. I started there and got nowhere. And then I started literally like going through the phone book and stuff and just calling places. And I was calling places and I was emailing places and I was talking to the gals in my group and even trying to like, can we move it to a different day or a different time? Or can we do that? Like just racking my brain, trying to do this for six months. Um, and, and I got nowhere. Um, and finally I was like at my wits end, I just said, God, you can have it. Like, I can't do anything else. I've called every single place multiple times. I'm calling these people. I'm emailing these people. I'm going places in person and showing up and like pleading with people and I'm getting nowhere. So I said, I'm done. If you want me to have a group, you can find a place for us to meet because I have nothing else to give here. I can't bring anything else to the table. And you know what? The next day I had two places call me and say, Hey, we heard that you're looking for a place to have this group. We'd love to host you. And I ended up going, getting keys to two different places. And we had our like, Oh, we have a thing tonight. And that was great. Um, so that's one, one place that God came through. And then I'll tell you another story. So I was, I got divorced last year. Um, and I was married for 10 years. Um, and my husband and I had a very difficult marriage from pretty early on. And we were separated for like six or seven years of it. And, um, I spent six or seven years of our separation praying and pleading and reading every self-help book and going to different counselors and going to seminars and conferences and, and all kinds of things and praying for God to reconcile my marriage. Um, and God did not, God did not reconcile my marriage. Um, I did, I, I gave everything. It took me six or seven years to feel really good about that I gave everything I could possibly give to this, you know, not that I was perfect, but that I did, I absolutely did my best to try to, um, save this marriage. And we got my husband and I, we got divorced, um, last year, but I held on to that. It was very toxic and dysfunctional. Um, and I clung to it and just kept hoping, you know, God's going to fix it. God's going to change him. He had substance abuse issues. Um, he was verbally and emotionally abusive. Um, I mean, but I just kept thinking, you know, God's going to, God's going to fix this. God's going to fix this. Um, and I was not letting go. I was idolizing, um, my marriage and, um, and I finally got to a point where, um, my, my ex-husband would not speak to me. Um, he would not fill out divorce paperwork. He would not go see an attorney. He would not talk. I mean, he like ghosted me for months and, um, but it, it, put me in check because I really, I said, I can't want that. Like, I can't want this for both of us and I can pray and I can go to counseling and I can do all these things. Um, but I can only do so much. And, um, I reached a point where I said, God, you can have this. Like if you're going to do a miracle and you're going to come through and you're going to change my husband's heart, um, then you can do that, but I'm handing it over and whatever that means, um, you know, I, I trust you, Lord, you know, what's best, you know, my heart. Um, and God gave me after like seven years of, of hanging on to this, God gave me a peace 
about, you know, feeling like I had given everything that I could and having peace that I could sign off on this paperwork that my husband finally did and let go of it. Um, and know that it was out of my control. Um, so I know that's not like a super happy story. I'm very content and happy and, and satisfied. And I feel like this huge weight has been lifted off of me since then. Um, but I guess I'm just trying to say like, I had to reach a point where I really was not just saying, God, you can have this. Cause I've been at that point too, where I say, God, you can have this, but really I'm like kind of holding on to it and I don't really want to give it to you, but I'm like trying to do the right thing and like, here, God, you can have it. Uh, just kidding. I'm kind of, kind of like gripping it. Um, I had to really get to a point where I was like, you can have it. You can really have it. And whatever that means and whatever that looks like, I'm giving it to you and I'm trusting that you're going to work all things together for my good because I love you and I'm called according to your purpose. And God has been so kind and so faithful um, in everything, everything that I've given him, even if it didn't look like what I thought it would look like, or maybe what I wanted it to look like at the time. Um, But he, you know, he never disappoints us. So. Thank you. Thank you, Laura. Those are really good and clear examples. And what I hear in those is getting to the end, the real end of yourself. Right? This is it. That is the moment. It's not still control. I'm still, I'm actually using God to see if I can control it. I still, right? My prayer is, is trying to God to do this. There is a moment when this is yielding. This, uh, this meekness, this, uh, is surrendering. I mean, it's as we hear you, we, we hear that. And, and we don't leave God. Remember, the first part of, of, of this uh, definition is a process, right? So you are in this process, and, and I'm leaving this, but I'm not leaving you. Because this is not about getting to the end of myself and say, God, you know, I'm out of here. Even though sometimes that might be something that we say, but uh, uh, there's a, a, a very uh, special moment of trust that comes out of reaching an end of ourselves. There's no more control. The awareness is very clear. If you don't show up, Lord, and we're open to anything that happens up after that. We're open to be molded. It's very good. And we don't like it. (laughs) I keep coming back to this uh, thing I think we shared last week too. What God does in you in those moments is far more important than the issue that is being done. I don't know if that makes sense. What God does in you when you reach to the end yourself and you yield yourself to God is more important than the context of the problem that take you there, took you there. That eventually will pass. But the, the shaping of the Lord, the being conformed, takes place in that kind of furnace. And then we can see it. I think, Laura, you, you will, in your example, you can see it. here you are. You know, and you are with God. And yes, uh, it was hard. It was painful. It was, uh, there, there are impacts. There's an impact there. But here you are. God has done something deeper. Thank you for sharing. Somebody else? I guess uh, a question comes up to me because I was thinking about, you know, I don't, I want to be able to yield to the Lord before I've like reached the end of my rope. I'd rather not go to that place. I'd rather yield before that. And and so I guess it raises a question of, um, do we have to get to the end of our rope before we're ready to yield? Is that just the way it is? <laughs> yeah. 
anyway. Great question. So, and I don't think so. I think Jesus is an example. You know, I, I think we saw a lot of other stories in the Bible when this yielding becomes the character. That is the maturity. When I don't over-attach with this thing of control, you know, and uh, you might be in a prison and be content because all these expectations and all this control is yield and, and you can... Be like Paul saying, you know, I learned to be content in every situation. There's a pastor, a friend of mine says, Lord, that's his prayer. He says, Lord, don't break me. I will bend. <laughs> I will bend, don't break me. That is kind of what you're saying. And that's the level of maturity, spiritual, emotional. Immaturity is not, I'm going to kick on a screen <laughs> every time. Every time. And uh, the love of God is not at stake. <laughs> my love for my kids is not at stake when they kick and scream. It's a lot easier when they don't. <laughs> so that's a great question. So, because that is the fruit of that maturity. You see, Jesus, he yelled, he bent, he was broken. He talks in, in language that is pretty hard. You have to die to yourself. Oh. In order to produce fruit. But I don't think he, the, the expectation is that we have to get to that extreme of, of the end. But maybe for many of us, we have to learn someplace, somehow. Excellent point. I think it depends on how stubborn you are, so. Yeah. I feel like I don't have to get there anymore because I got there a few times and then I realized when I try to do it myself, I screw it up most of the time. So it's better off to just give it to God anyway. But I had to like blow it a few times on my own and get mm -hmm. to that point. So now I can remind mm -hmm. myself I don't need to get to the end because I can remember what he's done already. <laughs> Excellent. You know, it also can depend on what it is that you're dealing with. Mm -hmm. Some things, um, the grace may be there to yield at an earlier stage, and other things, they're just uh, a lot harder. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was. Exactly. And you can see uh, also uh, life because it's practice, you know, practice. Your life and my life are about learning to yield. First half of life, we, we learn to build ourselves. Look who I am. All these things that I've done that I can do. The second half of life is about yielding, yielding, letting go, letting go. Until one day, we, which will defeat, I mean, we, we will be faced with, with the ultimate learning. And, uh, you know, you can see maturity, spiritual and emotional, especially in that very last part of the life. Right. You know, I think what I, what I seek um, in my spiritual growth is being able to embrace the wholeness of completely yielding, but giving my all. Because I don't think that they're necessarily contrary to each other. There, there's a way to give our all to something and yet still be yielded to the Lord where we're, we're, we're resting in Him with it, but we're giving what He calls us to give to it. I, I think that's hard. <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, that's, that's what resonates with me. It's not a, you know. One or another, yeah. Yeah, and so that's perfect. I mean, I know the time is, is running out, but that's a great point. We, I'm not trying to simplify thought in, in language of faith walking or simplify it, but we talk about differentiation of self. And, and here's when I take it a little bit out of the family systems, you know, and spiritual differentiation of self is exactly what you're just saying. 
I am my all. I am completely me. I am free to choose all of me with my best. And I yield this all to you, Lord. Spiritual maturity. You know, we, we see it in the context of emotional maturity, and it's helpful. Being myself and being connected. Wow. Think, think of that process. And that's what we see in Jesus. Nobody takes my life. I give it. I, I yield it all. It's powerful. So that, that's a good point. So uh, you, you, you say that's what I pursued, wholeness. I think that is the wholeness that the Lord is inviting us and conforming us into. Because that's what we see in Jesus. Excellent conversation, friends. Really, really good conversation. We can go more and makes me uh, want to be uh, ready for our next conversation because we are conformed not into an esoteric idea of what we need to be conformed, but we are conforming to the image of Christ. And we will talk about that in our next session. So let me finish by reading our prayer as we say goodbye. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Gonna look twice at you Until I see the Christ in you Till I'm looking through the eyes of love Till I'm looking through the eyes